Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today our question is, are you eating enough to run? We're going to be looking at the consequences of low energy availability and how that may impact on your performance. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionist friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalized sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome back, everybody. Hello, I'm Aileen, and I'm here as always with Karen. So, Karen, how are you this morning? Yes, I'm good, thank you, Aileen. Um, I've been for my run. I went out for a, a little coffee because I can, and um, and now I'm ready for uh, the day ahead. Brilliant, brilliant. So, as always, uh, we're going to start by sharing something personal about our nutritional running before we get onto the topic today, which is focusing on eating enough to run and the consequences of low energy availability. Um, so, keeping on topic, Karen, I was just wondering um, how do you ensure that you take in sufficient energy uh, from your food plan to fuel your your running? Yeah, that's a really good question, Aileen, because I think it's something that I'm diligent about now, but this wasn't always the case. You know, I remember when I first started running marathons, I I had no idea really about sports nutrition and used to complete them without fueling at all. You know, I would maybe eat before the event, but I wouldn't even consider my needs sort of during the event or afterwards either. And um, I now know this is potentially why I used to suffer from nausea and headaches and fatigue after a a, a marathon and and sometimes for several days afterwards. So I have to say now, since I've I've got more educated, I've been educated and the importance of nutrition, both in my training and for race events, I really work out my food and energy needs. And actually, I tend to use our athletes' plates um, as my easy sort of go-to for fueling, just to make sure that I'm I'm fueling fueling appropriately. And um, you know, we will speak about the athletes' plates and where that fits into what we do later in this episode. But um, just thinking about you, Aileen, how do you ensure you're eating enough for, for your health as well as for your training? 
Yeah, well, like you, I followed the plate balance concept and I increased my food intake on high endurance days. Now, you know, my run distance aren't as long as yours, Karen, in miles. Um, and my maximum distance is half marathon. But uh, what I do is when I step up my training, I'll adjust my food intake and macronutrient proportions accordingly. And a bit like you, that wasn't always the case. And, you know, I remember back to a conversation we had when we were students and and I think I was a test client for you you know we used to have to do these things where you had to have pretend clients to practice on and uh, and you actually said to me I don't think you're eating enough Aileen and mm-hmm. I was quite shocked by that but it's something that sort of stuck with me and um, you know I've, I've learned along the way mm-hmm. um, so the, the other thing that I do sort of from an endurance exercise point of view is I, I do a long hill walk every every week and uh, because I'm preparing to do a long distance walk in the summer which is going to take about 16 days and so now that we can go out and about a bit more with adding in higher hills and and they're a little bit more intensive um so on those days I, I mean I really need my food and so my energy intake is much higher and and I tend to eat bigger portions um but I still try to make healthy choices but just eat um a bit more um and you know as I said in the past I used to just eat the same amount of food every day regardless of what exercise I was doing and uh, eventually that did lead to poor performance and low energy. Um, so now I know that it's fine to vary the amount of food I eat in relationship to my energy expenditure. And, and I'm quite relaxed about doing that now. And, uh, I, I, you know, in the past, I might have been a bit hard on myself and thinking that I wasn't doing the right thing. But now I know it's OK to vary it. So, uh, yeah, it's a learning. It's a learning phase but also a bit of a mindset change isn't it to um, learn how to do it and put it into practice absolutely because I think it's so easy to just continue eating the same amount of food and not really sort of um, thinking about well how much energy have I actually used but it can go the other way as well where people maybe sort of think well I've done some exercise therefore I can eat so much more and then maybe yeah. So, and we'll discuss that later. Mm. Okay, so let's uh, let's get going, and we'll we'll get into the topic now, which, as we said, is all about energy availability for running. So, what we're going to talk about today is outline energy availability and discuss its importance for runners. Uh, we're going to look into the health and performance consequences of low energy availability and also consider some nutritional and lifestyle strategies to prevent the development of that imbalance of energy. Um, so, Karen, why do you think it's important that we're talking about this topic today? Well, I think the short answer really is because appropriate energy availability is essential for attaining and also maintaining exercise performance. So that would be the short version. But to expand on that a little bit, energy availability is really dependent on energy intake from the diet matching the energy expenditure of exercise, where that energy expenditure of exercise is calculated as the additional energy expended above that required for daily living. And I think really for many runners and other athletes as well, there is this mismatch 
um, between the two, leaving inadequate energy to support the normal functions of the body. So the, the function the body needs to maintain optimal health and performance. Right. Okay. So that's uh, quite an important concept to get into our brains. Uh, Mm. So simply put, this sort of energy availability equals energy intake less the extra energy um, that's required, the energy expenditure for exercise. So that's that's the, the concept that we're really looking at today. So Karen, when you were speaking here about the mismatch resulting from that low energy availability, um, it, it could also be possible that an individual's energy intake via the diet is leading to that high energy availability, which, as you said earlier, could also affect the health and performance, mostly as a result of fat or weight gain. Yeah, exactly that, Aileen. It is, it is possible that people can overeat um, and, 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 and this does occur. But I think that that is mostly likely to occur in people who are maybe, and this is a generalisation, that are sort of more recreational or social runners. So they're not really training for races and club events and other, other such events. Whereas with the club runners, also the distance runners and professional and elite runners, this low energy availability is thought to be much more prevalence. And Aileen, just going back to your original question again briefly, another reason really we're discussing this topic is because the International Olympic Committee, so the IOC, as a lot of people may know them as, um, they published a consensus statement in 2014 that was entitled Beyond the Female Athlete Triad and looking at relative energy deficiency in sport. Now, they reconvened again in more recent years to give an update on the scientific progress into the field of low energy um, availability and its links to REDS, so this um, relative energy deficiency in sport, and um, and it and uh, as it sort of appears to be becoming m- more prevalent in female athletes. In fact, male athletes as well, they found I thought it would be a good idea to maybe help get that message out about the potential health and performance effects of the low energy availability and this REDS concept. Yeah, and it's a very serious issue, isn't it, Karen? And it's interesting to see that the IOC, you know, are, are raising that as a, a topic of discussion and, and interest for everybody. Um, so I, I know we're going to speak a bit more about REDS um, and, and we'll explain exactly what it is. But before we do that, is there anything else you can tell us about energy availability, Karen? Yeah, the other thing that I would just like to add at this point is that um, there have been some really stringent controlled trials in women showing that optimal energy availability for the healthy physiological functioning of the body is typically achieved at an energy availability of 45 calories per kilogram of free fat mass per day. Now, they use the free fat mass because it's a good measure um, and, and reflects the body's most metabolically active tissue. Now, on top of that, it is thought that um, our various metabolically active systems could be negatively affected 
at an energy availability of around 30 calories per kilograms of the free fat mass per day. So, so at the moment, certainly, this is generally accepted as the threshold for low energy availability. So if somebody's just taking in roughly about 30 calories per kilogram of free fat mass, they could be on the cusp of moving into the low energy availability. Now, this measure certainly is not a gold standard approach to assessing um, energy availability. However, at the moment, certainly, there is no other assessment um, available. And this this is something that the IOC highlighted in the statement and something that they would really like to, to see being addressed so that there is something that is more gold standard for assessing um, this, this energy availability. Mm, that's really interesting. I'm going to work that out and see yes. how it looks. It's maybe a discussion point uh, in our Q&A that we, we do every week. That might be an interesting yes. topic for discussion. Um, OK, so let's um, let's just summarise quickly. So, um, so far, we've determined that the sufficient and appropriate energy availability is really essential for optimal health and, and exercise performance. And we can measure that by assessing um, energy intake versus energy expenditure of exercise and also taking into account uh, what we need for everyday living with the energy intake matching the energy expenditure of exercise. And if there's a lot of energy, ex- a lot of what no. words here, Karen, but if, 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 if the energy intake is over or under, so that's basically the amount of food we're eating, if it's over mm. or under, it could lead to detrimental health and running performance effects. So it is quite crucial that we know about our body composition and we're sort of monitoring our food intake alongside our training and uh, expenditure of energy to get get that balance right really isn't it Mm, definitely okay so let's look now into um, the health and performance effects of this low energy availability uh, which you know as you said appears to be quite prevalent in the running world especially in endurance and elite runners um particularly where low weight and leanness is important and and expected in many cases uh, for enhanced performance. So can we start, Karen, by looking at the health effects of this low energy availability? Um, What can you tell us about it? Yeah, actually, Aileen, this is something that we discuss in episode six. Um, that that episode's titled "The Performance Effects of Overtraining Syndrome." So, I would really recommend that listeners maybe revisit this episode. They might have listened to to, to it before, but if this is a topic they're really keen on, then maybe um, just sort of going back and listening to that again. So, what I'll do here is kind of recap and expand on the health concerns that are are sort of associated with low energy availability and they include endocrine disruption so that's looking at hormone disruption especially um, the sex hormones, the thyroid hormones, and also appetite regulating hormones as well. So I'm thinking here of the likes of leptin, ghrelin and insulin, which are ones that people may have heard of, and also that ever crucial cortisol levels as well. And it is thought that most of these become disrupted in an effort really to conserve energy for the most important bodily functions and processes. And then just sort of 
um, thinking more about the sex hormones, these are um, disrupted and it appears to be alterations in the release of certain hormones. So, for example, the luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone from the pituitary gland. And it's th these are thought to decrease uh, the levels of estrogen and progesterone being produced in women and then test testosterone in men potentially leading in both, both cases, actually, in males and females, potentially leading to fertility issues. And then sort of staying on the the sort of topic of sex hormones, it can also lead to menstrual dysfunction for women. So low energy availability is thought to affect what's known as gon gonadotrophin releasing hormone now um and that's that's housed in the pituitary gland in the brain so that sort of begins a cascade of um hormone release going down to sort of the estrogen and progesterone level and and this sort of um effect on on this hormone's pulsicity uh, can lead to the disruption to the luteinizing hormone, the follicle stimulating hormone, as well as estrogen and progesterone levels, which we have already sort of looked at. And this scenario here is, is known as functional hypothalamic amenorrhea, and it is generally and it generally results, as the word says, amenorrhea, results in a loss of periods. But but what um, what they're not clear about yet is the duration and the severity of low energy availability that is needed to create this scenario. So that's something that still needs a little bit more um, research into. Yeah, so I guess, you know, if, if people are listening, noticing that there's changes, particularly in your um, menstrual cycle, would be a sign that, you yeah. know, maybe you're under eating, you might want to just check in, you know, is, is that one of the root causes? So th there's a lot of female factors there, Karen, um, and I'm wondering if, if this might affect bone health too. Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. So, um, so impaired bone health is, is, is generally linked to this amenorrhea. So this loss of periods and it can affect bone mineral dis, di, bone mineral density as well as bone turnover, bone strength, and also increases the risk of stress fractures occurring as well. And this is all linked to this reduced level of circulating estrogen. And this could potentially affect both men and women, but it is much more prevalent in women. And, and so to just moving on and thinking about other physiological and health effects of um, low energy availability, it's also known to reduce the resting metabolic rate. And this is thought to be as a result of reduced T3 and thyroid hormone production. And, um, and this appears to be really prevalent in endurance athletes, so the long-distance runners and also the long-distance cyclists and other endurance sports as well. And Aileen, I know that, you know, there are really lots of, of, of different health effects. Would you like to outline a few as well? Yeah, there's a big, there's a big list really, isn't there? And it's, um, you know, it's, it's quite serious. So it, it makes you, it does make you think that, 
hopefully you, you need to check in with yourself that under eating isn't something that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that can happen is that you can have an impaired uh, blood cell formation and turnover. And this appears to be linked to low iron availability. And um, this um, impaired um, situation has a, a knock-on effect on the oxygen carrying capacity. Um, and low and deficient iron could also affect bone health, thyroid function and fertility so again you know it's like a domino effect isn't it Mm -hmm. you know it starts with one thing and it moves on and affects you in other ways um also there's um you know suggestions that it could be compromising your immune system so um leading to things like risks of infections inflammation and injury as well as um gastrointestinal symptoms um, and also impaired cardiovascular health. So low estrogen levels are associated with um, a condition called atherosclerosis and also poor lipid status. Um, so that, that's looking at HDL and LDL levels, which people might um, connect with cholesterol, you know, if you if you know anything about that. So there can be quite significant cardiovascular changes occurring um, as well. You know, things like valve abnormalities, irregular heartbeats, hypertension. So um, again, you know, it doesn't, you might not think that, you know, this kind of thing can really seriously affect your health, but you can see, you know, from what we say in it sort of, well, we all say health's a continuum, isn't it? You know, so it doesn't just happen in one spot. Um, it affects in lots of different areas and it, it can take years to affect you, but eventually these conditions can develop. Exactly. And I think it's it's it just shows the interconnections within the different systems in the body and clearly the severity of the low energy um, availability, which may be linked to disordered eating, eating disorders as well. So that there's there's a huge it's a big concept here. And um, but as as it becomes more severe, whether it be accidental or intentional, that the, the health effects are far reaching. And just sort of another couple of areas that affects are um, the gastrointestinal dysfunction. So that uh, includes the altered sphincter function. So you've got sphincters in each side of your your sort of stomach and they can they can be affected um and this can lead to delayed gastric emptying you can also start to experience constipation and in some people increased intestinal transit time so lots of different functions and it will affect um everybody differently and then compromised muscle function so um a daily altered uh, a, a daily protein intake um, of less than 30 calories per kilograms of free fat mass. So that that um, that point that we're speaking about earlier, where it's the threshold for low energy availability, that is also known to reduce muscle protein synthesis. So that muscle production. So um, it really is um, far reaching. And then again, psychological issues. And these are really closely linked to um, lower energy uh, availability. And these issues may actually precede or be, be caused by um, the low energy availability. So it could be that the psychological issues for people are what leads to the, the, the low energy um, or it could be as a result of it. And, and a higher drive for thin, 
thinness, which is associated with, like I was speaking about the disordered eating and the eating disorders, is one of the known leading triggers of this low energy availability. Yeah, and that's a, a subject, you know, I listen to quite a lot of um, running podcasts and quite often there are athletes, female athletes in particular, that are talking about their, you know, situation. You know, it might have started with this drive for thinness, as you say, and then, you know, over a period of time, they get into a, an, an eating disorder, which, um, you know, they, they sort of look back on and say, oh, you know, I can see why it happened. Mm. And, and they're sharing their stories now to help other women not fall into the same uh, trap, really. Um, so, Karen, just as, as we, um, you know, we mentioned that the health effects of of this sort of low eating um, availability, low energy availability are, are, are far reaching. Uh, but could you maybe link now and explain how Red S fits into this. Yes, absolutely. So, so um, in 2014, you know, I spoke about the IOC and and um, how they sort of came up with this concept of of Red S, and they they sort of outlined it as a syndrome resulting from relative energy deficiency that affects many aspects of physiological function. And this is thought to be as a result of the inadequate energy intake compared to that energy expenditure of exercise and daily living that we've been discussing, and that resulting in poor health and also um, that reduced uh, sports performance. Now, Many people will probably have heard of the female athlete triad, which has been an acknowledged condition for many years. And it's recognized as a syndrome as well, but a syndrome of three interrelated components affecting girls and women. So this was really specific to the female um, cohort and linking it to the low energy availability that we've been speaking about, menstrual dysfunction and low bone mineral density. And it was thought that the, the athlete's health was thought to move along a spectrum depending on their dietary and their exercise behaviours. So what the IOC did in 2014 was they acknowledged that concept of FAT, so the female athlete triad, and how the, the athlete's health is said to move along a spectrum depending on the diet and exercise behaviours. However, with this new concept, they also recognised additional aspects of the physiological function functions affected by low energy availability, which are all the ones that we've discussed. But what it also did was it acknowledged the risk to male athletes as well. And the male athletes had never really been considered before that time. Wow. So what you're really saying here is that the low energy availability underpins a concept of red S, yeah. um, and, you know, so it's a really important part of that female athletes uh, triad. Um, mm. And you've, t- you've spoken about the physiological effects of, of both these you know, areas, the low energy availability and red S. So what, what are the performance consequences of this scenario? We've talked about health, but what's the impact on performance? 
Yeah, I will mention a few, Aileen. But interestingly, to date, there has been very few intervention studies on the long term um, energy restrictions and exercise performance. But But it has been speculated to date is that um, low energy availability could impair sports performance via a variety of different mechanisms, which I suppose makes sense when you think about the various body systems that are actually compromised due to that low energy availability. And one of the principal consequences of this low energy is thought to be uh, poor recovery from training. And that poor recovery from training can have a knock-on effect um, on, on physiological, but also psychological and emotional capacity, and also could potentially impair optimal muscle mass, but also muscle function. So those are some ideas. And then um, low energy availability could also impair performance through that compromised glycogen storage and due to just not enough being taken on board, but also protein synthesis as well. Um, And that is, is going to increase the athlete's risk of illness and injury. So really like the physiological effects, the potential performance effects of of this low energy availability are vast and and quite far reaching. They certainly are. So we've determined the the consequences um, of this low energy availability are extensive. And I think it's going to be really helpful to talk later on, Karen, about some nutritional lifestyle strategies which will help prevent its development. Um, but certainly, I think just being aware of it is really going to help people. Um, but before we do that, you know, we always like to uh, look at the female factors. And what we've talked about a couple earlier, but are there any other female factors that we need to consider? Yes, there are a, a couple that I, I wouldn't mind mentioning. And one, I suppose, is that low energy availability is thought to be more prevalent in females rather than males. And um, and also um, this low energy availability is thought to be more prevalent in women competing in endurance sports. So, for example, the running, the cycling, but also rowing as well. And also in sports where um, they need to make weight, as it's known. So, so I'm thinking of sports like gymnastics, dance, rowing again, um, and running as well to a degree, and also horse riding. In fact, um, sort of jockeys, both males and females, um, are thought to be um, sort of athletes that are at high risk of this because they have to be so light. And there's this expectation that they will be light uh, because they'll go faster, the horse will go faster. And also women um, are at increased risk of impaired bone health more than men as a result of this um, low energy availability. And also this disordered eating and eating disorders linked to low energy um, availability is, again, more prevalent in women than men. And it is often, I think I maybe mentioned earlier, it quite often can be a precursor to the low energy energy availability so something and sometimes it can just be it can start out as as um disordered eating or dysfunctional eating in a way 
but can then sort of progress into an eating disorder. So those would be the ones I just wanted to highlight here, Aileen. But before we move on to the next section, um, maybe it would be a good time to take a short advert break. Yes, of course. So this is the point in the episode where Karen and I take a a minute just to talk to you about what else we do outside of of the podcast. And right at the beginning of the episode today, we mentioned our Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners program um, and the use of athletes' plates uh, within that program to help you adjust the amount of energy required from your food in relationship to your training and exercise plans. And, And Karen and I designed these specifically for that because it can be confusing and as we said some people eat the same things all the time without taking into account how they can adjust their food intake uh, relating to what exercise they're doing so you know these resources these different athlete plates are are available to you as part of that program Um, the programs are an online video program it's short and sweet Um, you can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks or you can take as long as you need to. So once you've um, enrolled in the program, you've got access to the videos and you can work at your own pace or you can go back and refresh on certain parts if that's what you'd like to do. Um, so if you've been listening today and think you'd like to know more about how to apply both everyday nutrition alongside sports specific nutrition um, I'd say the program is a really great place to start and uh, we give you um, information some education and also some easy action steps to help you put everything into place um, but we also know that being able to ask specific questions to help you with your personal food plan is really important um, and uh because of that, we we make sure that as part of the program, you get an opportunity to get access to us, to get those burning questions answered, because it's really important that uh, you get everything that you need to put uh, your action plan into place. Um, so if it's of interest to you, um, check it out on our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. If you look at the top menu bar at online program, uh, you'll be able to find all about the program there. And if you've got any questions, please feel free to email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com. Excellent. Thank you so much, Aileen. Okay, so now let's start to think about some strategies to help prevent a runner developing low energy availability and this red SO, uh, relative energy deficiency in sport. So I think one strategy that comes to mind immediately for me is this increased awareness, which hopefully this episode will be successful in doing. Um, Because interestingly, there was a survey carried out in the US um, in recent years, and it found that less than 50% of doctors and coaches and athletic trainers, as well as physiotherapists, could identify any part of that triad. So that female athlete triad that we were speaking about it, uh, we were speaking about earlier. So the the low energy deficiency, the low energy availability, that menstrual dysfunction and low bone mineral density. So less than 50 percent of doctors and coaches. I find that quite, um, quite astounding. And on top of that, only 19 percent of school nurses. Now, there were 370 schools that took part in this study and only 19 percent of the school nurses could identify all three components. And, and I have to say, I find that quite shocking when you think 
think that teenagers, especially teenage girls, are known to be the demographic that are most susceptible to potentially developing disordered eating and eating disorders. And then Another study that was carried out in Australia, um, they were looking at a group of exercising women and only a third of the group or or a third of the group um, thought it was normal for active women to have irregular periods. And only half of the group knew that menstrual dysfunction was potentially a risk factor for suboptimal bone health. So quite quite dramatic um, statistics, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, hopefully if you're listening today and uh, you've learned a few things or if it's just really recapping on what you already know, I think it's important to share this this information and have discussions with uh, with your friends and you know you you were talking about teenage girls and I was thinking about them earlier when we were talking and think you know they definitely are in that risk group and mm-hmm. and it's important to um, help them now so that they can yeah. manage it, it as they get older exactly um, about getting the message out but also observing as well for for us who are learning more about it is observing for these potential sim- signs yeah. that somebody's in low energy um or in energy deficit okay so yeah we're both in agreement that increased yeah. awareness and education is definitely required um and uh, some questions that people might want to ask themselves either about themselves family members or friends is do you train and forget to eat immediately afterwards um, do you restrict your calorie intake and try to attain or maintain a, a lean physique um, are you under pressure to keep below a certain weight for your sport and do you skip meals but train hard so all of these questions um, you know, depending on what your answer is, may put you at an increased risk of suffering from um, this sort of um, reduced energy availability, this, um, you know, a red S that we've been talked about. So let's think about some practical strategies now, Karen. So um, I suppose, the, you know, to start with, the best advice I can give is that you know, if, if if you feel that you're at risk of this or, you know, you, you're noticing the signs, um, I'd suggest that, you know, people think about working with a sports nutrition professional who can guide you uh, regarding your nutrient intake to support your, your health goals and your racing goals um, whilst ensuring that you do have sufficient energy for um, all of your, your running and re-racing. Um, and, Obviously, Karen and I can help with this too. So if it's of interest to you, you know, feel free to email us at um, hello at runnershealthhub.com um, as a starting point. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree with that, Aileen. I think working with a professional just to ensure you you're maintaining appropriate energy balance would be the best decision that anybody could make if they're if they're sort of answering yes to these questions that you put out there, Aileen, then definitely um worth sort of moving forward with that. But but what steps could people take themselves to ensure they're eating enough um for their training that they're doing? Um 
let's have a look maybe at a, a few of our ideas. And these are our, our sort of suggestions. And I think the most obvious one for me would be to eat if you feel hungry. Um, so don't don't let yourself go um, hungry for long periods of, of time because this is going to deplete the blood glucose, but also potentially um, deplete the glycogen stores as well. So you could then be going into your next training session already depleted and this is you sort of um unless it's it, it, you're going to replenish afterwards you're, you're moving into that low energy availability very easily and unconsciously for some people but also think about the food choices you're making are they nutrient dense because eating sufficient micronutrients is also going to be really important especially for ensuring that you're taking on enough iron calcium and also vitamin d which are all key for um for bone health for energy. And remember to eat pre, during and post long training runs. So these runs that are beyond 90 minutes that we often speak about, you, you need to be looking at eating pre, during and post. And what I would say is to always eat following any type of running, um, ensuring that it's nutrient dense um, and remember, remember, it's not just about replacing the energy used. It's about making sure that you're getting all the, the nutrients that you need. And again, using the athlete's plate as a guide is going to, to really help. And just ensure that you're taking on board that 45 calories per kilogram of free fat mass each day. And, and that's really if you just want to measure or log your intake, this is that isn't going to be suitable or practical for everybody. But if it's going to help some people, then that's something else to think about. Yeah, and I mean, I, I always sort of feel a bit uneasy about um, counting calories, but I think it's a guide. And I, I think, you know, as an exercise, you could work it out and see, well, on a typical day, is that what I'm consuming? Uh, is And then you don't have to worry about it so much. Um, because I think sometimes people who um, get too hooked on measuring absolutely everything are the people that sometimes are at risk of, yeah. of these um you know conditions that we've been talking about mm-hmm. um and i think it's also important karen isn't it to consider the performance triangle which we've talked mm-hmm. about in um a number of episodes um and that's where um we're looking at making sure that we get an equal measure of um training nutrition uh, alongside rest and sleep so really focusing in on these three areas has been equally important um, to be a, a healthy athlete and a healthy runner uh, and if you want to listen to a little bit more detail on that go back to episode two and episode 50 and uh, you'll get a few more insights so I think you know going on to just thinking about advice if anybody is concerned um either about themselves or, as we said earlier, maybe a family member or, or indeed a friend. If if somebody's uh, suspecting that they've got disordered eating, um, it's important to uh, flag it up with a medical professional. So, um, you know, your GP or, or, or whoever your medical practitioner is, um, and they will um, they'll signpost you to 
probably um, a specialist and it might be um, a talking therapist or a specialist in eating disorders. Um, And I know there's a lot of discussion, um, certainly in the UK, about, you know, what the availability is. Um, But I think it's important to, you know, get that first bit of help and and see where that takes you. and then it also, if you think if you've got any suspicions that may be uh, red S or disordered eating or just this, um, you know, the energy availability, lower energy availability is an issue. Um, again, you know, you, you need to take some steps. And the first steps would be, you know, it might be go straight to your GP or your um running coach or your PT, whoever is advising you, might be a physio, it could be a friend, a member of the family, a nutritional therapist, you know, all of these people will have some insights, and they may be able to point you in the right direction. So um, I think having an open conversation with people who are interested will help, and they'll give you some perspective. Um, you know, we all sort of notice things, don't we, about our friends? And I certainly I do. And you, you know, it's uh, I think it's only showing care and kindness to to help people out. Um, and also, I've, I know that um, CBT, cognitive, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, can also help. Um, and certainly, you know, f- from my point of view as a nutritional therapist, I would work in conjunction with any of these other professionals um, because often, you know, one um, one type of therapy isn't going to be enough to help somebody in that situation. So often psychological therapy works well with nutritional therapy and, and it's you know, if you're talking to a professional, they'll actually advise you to do that. They'll say, I can help you with this bit, but we also need to involve another professional to help you um, to make sure that you're getting the absolute best advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. It's sort of multidisciplinary, really. It's not just one area is going to be able to support you completely. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's uh, just summarize. So if you think that you're at risk of uh, low energy availability, we strong, strongly advise that you uh, work with a professional to support you. Uh, there might be some steps that you can take yourself now to prevent this low energy availability occurring. Uh, not leaving it too long between meals um, is one thing that you could do and making sure that you don't become over hungry and always uh, plan to eat something after a run, no matter how short the distance is. So it becomes part of your recovery process and you know that that's going to be supporting everything that you're doing as a runner. Um, and, and also, you know, there's the flip side, isn't there, that we've, we've been talking about low energy availability, but there may be some people that might be overeating. So, you know, bear that in mind too. So, Karen, we're we're sort of at the end of the episode, um, so it's time uh, for us to uh, look at the key takeaways. So could you give us a a summary of what we've talked about today? Yeah, sure, Aileen. So um, what I would say first is this um, appropriate energy availability is essential for attaining and maintaining exercise performance. But really, for many runners, there does seem to be this mismatch between 
energy in and energy expenditure of exercise. And that tends to leave inadequate energy to support the functions of the body needed for optimal health as well as their performance. And currently it is thought that this optimal energy availability for the healthy physiological function can be achieved at an energy availability of 45 kilocalories um, per kilogram of this free fat mass per day. But health and performance can be negatively affected at an energy availability of 30 calories per kilogram of free fat mass per day. Per day. So, and this is generally th- accepted at the moment as the threshold for low energy availability. And the health effects of this low energy availability are far reaching and includes um, things such as hormonal and menstrual dysfunction, compromised gastrointestinal function, and also suboptimal immune and cardiovascular health. And running performance is also affected in several ways, including poor recovery from training, reduced physical, psychological and emotional capacity and impaired muscle mass and function. And also on top of that, there's a potential for compromised glycogen storage and an increased risk of illness and injury. And some steps that um, people could take themselves to try and prevent this low energy availability developing include ensuring that you eat nutrient-dense foods regularly, never letting yourself get too hungry and not letting yourself be hungry for too long either. And remember to eat pre, during, post long runs and always aim to eat something after all runs, no matter how short the distance may be. And then finally, but most importantly, I think if you do suspect you or like you were saying, Aileen, a friend, a colleague, uh, uh, your running buddy um, may be at risk of this low energy availability, then we both highly recommend that you work with a professional to help get the support that you need for your nutritional needs, for your everyday health, but also for your running goals and your running performance. And that would be it, Aileen. Great. Thanks so much, Karen. Um, really important note to end on. And um, I hope everybody spreads the message because we need every woman out there to know about this topic. Uh, and finally, remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. 
There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.